You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this time that we have to come together and just glorify and worship you. Uh, Lord, if you can use a donkey to preach the Word of God to the people of God, then you can use an ass like me today. I ask that you use the gospel as smelling salts and that you open our hearts, our minds, our ears, and our mouths to proclaim your goodness today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, that one was for y'all. <laughs> okay. Um, has anyone seen this piece of artwork before? Nope. Let's go back to that. This is, um, has anyone heard of Damien Hirst? He's a contemporary, contemporary artist. Anywho. Okay. So this is called For the Love of God. And the reason it's called For the Love of God is because he was making art where he would just take formaldehyde animals and cut them in half or have them completely full. And that was his art. And people were just like, this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. <laughs> and his mom was just like, for the love of God, Damien, what are you going to do next? And he was like, I got it. So he took a human skull and encrusted it with 8,601 diamonds. Okay. But here's the great part about Damien Hurst. He does not touch his own artwork. So he had multiple gemologists, I guess is the word, to encrust this different skull. And this was done in 2009. So the market price value is like a little bit different, but it cost about $24 million to make this skull. And when it came to market, it was anywhere between um, 80 to $100 million was the worth, okay? Um, and if that's not crazy enough, the security behind this to like get it where it needed to go was something out of a James Bond film. So my professor in uh, grad school was in charge of it and he described how they did it. And he was like, we had multiple planes and I didn't know which plane the skull was on. They had multiple decoy planes. When it arrived into Italy, they had multiple SUVs like with blacked out windows, there's like eight of them. And he said, again, he did not know which car the skull was in and he didn't know which briefcase it was in until just like the final moment. And that was to stop someone from like intercepting this $100 million piece of artwork. Cause you could just break it apart like they did with Kim Kardashian's jewels and just sell them off. <laughs> Talk about Kim Kardashian, we did it today. Um, but I, the reason I'm talking about this is because when the art market saw that, they went wild. And this is also like right off of the end of, um, you know, the recession and the tanking of everything. So here was this human skull just encrusted with diamonds. And this art historian says this amazing thing. His name's Rudy Fuchs. And he hailed it as out of this world, celestial almost. It proclaims victory over decay. At the time, it represents death as something infinitely more relentless. Compared to the tearful sadness of a Vanitas scene, this diamond skull is glory itself. It's like, whoa, <laughs> that's quite a mouthful. But, um, you know, we as human beings, we want victory over decay. And we want, to, we want that procession of SUVs blacked out coming into the city. But this is very much in stark contrast to when a man borrowed a donkey and came into the city who had true victory over death. And this is what we're calling out for. This is what we want when Christ Jesus has given us the true victory, okay? And so I just love this, for the love of God. Um, 
to me, this is just a beautiful representation of what we're all trying to do. And that is what we're trying to justify the ungodly. We try to do that in our everyday. We try to like, honestly, like put makeup on a pig. It's still a pig. Like we just try to constantly like make ourselves better. And I just thought this was beautiful. I'm going to use a lot of contemporary art uh, images today. And I think it's because like it just, this is really embarrassing to admit, it just occurred to me like three weeks ago that when you take communion at the table, that's a visual presentation of the gospel. I bet every single one of y'all knew that. <laughs> I did not. I was just like, oh, we do this and that. And it's like, whoa, blew my mind. So this was 2009's art market marketplace cry out to the unknown God, which we talked about last week in Acts 17. And so I want you to think about like what kind of marketplace groaning are we having and what kind of love letter from God can we just use to interpret what we're seeing. But again, this is just really to say that the secular is always trying to gleam, gleam diamonds from uh, what we do in our spaces. And if that's with words, with images, with art, we're always trying to do something like this. Again, the Advent's like, stop using these things. I'll cut it off. Um, no, Advent's fantastic. But today we're gonna look at the book of Romans. And Romans is really Paul's, to me, it's his like magnum opus, okay? It is just this beautiful symphonic like arrangement of God's greatest works. And he is just so trained in what he does that the buildup, honestly, like the chef's kiss of it, is us rejoicing in God's wrath. Can you imagine that? Rejoicing in God's wrath. And that's what we're going to look at today. How can we rejoice in God's wrath? And that's through Jesus Christ. We get to see when Christ is hung on the cross, justice and judgment coming together. So that wrath of God is that love of God coming in as well. But it seems so, that seems hard to wrap our heads around. But another thing about Romans is that Paul knows he's dealing with a very educated group of people. He knows that this is a particular group, so he puts on this vernacular garb of the Romans to use words and use the ways Romans would pick up on it, okay? So he is using the, wor the Roman words through his oratory skills, his rhetoric, and even like the diatribes that he's about to just take us through. This is what something they would delight in. So while they're delighting in it, he's gonna like throw in the gospel so that they can start to delight in that. And he's gonna show them, you know, the wrath of God is the love of God, and it's for all of us. And it's just, um, okay, I'll quote the ESV on this one. But I mean, he's spelling out the eternal plan of God's salvation for sinners, and he is doing that all through Romans. And so we're gonna look at different portions of Romans to understand just how he got there. But the ESV says this, um, he proclaims the righteousness that God both demands in obedience and offers as a free gift in Christ received by faith. Um, so God is demanding obedience, not in the way of like, you will obey me, like I said to my child this morning, when he's like putting his pants on. He says it, he's doing it in a way that like, when we think about God and all that he's done for us, there's no other response than to obey. Like there's no other way around it. Like we just fall to our knees and we just um, worship the Lord. But we could sit in that sentence for the rest of our lives, but we are gonna power through for the next 20 minutes on different portions. Um, 
Okay. This is Amson Kiefer, and he is a German artist that came out of World War II. He like grew up in the war-torn Germany. It's a fatherless country. I mean, he just saw just such intense moments of pain, suffering, and then just glimpses of goodness. And so this is called Nero Paints. And it's a terrifying painting because when you think about what it's supposed to mean, I don't know if you can see where Rome is burning in the back. Um, the terrifying thing to think of is that Nero can paint. You know, what separates us from animals and the beast of prey is that we can delight in music. We are, um, our hearts yearn for beautiful moments. Like we love art, we love literature, we love all these things. And Kiefer is saying that Nero paints. It's like, a, it's very unsettling to think of because we want to think of Nero as this monster, as this terrible human being. And at the same time, he can paint. And the, the folklore goes that he was playing the fiddle as Rome was burning. Have y'all heard this? Um, but I bring Nero up because this letter was written in about 60 AD. And so Paul is writing to the Romans and ultimately every, all of our own hearts. But four years after he has written these words that we're about to read, people are going to start being persecuted and martyred for, Christian, for Christ. And I just want you to, when these words that we're going to talk about today, I want them to wash over your hearts because these are the words that people were saying to themselves when they're hiding in the foothills outside of a city. These words have a real power to them, and I think sometimes we lose it because we've got to get that 10 minutes of devotion in. You know, we've got to, we've got to work through this book like I'm about to try to do. Um, okay, so back to America. 2022, all about us. What is crying out the loudest in our marketplace today? And how can we use the love letter of God to work through it? Raise your hand if you've heard the word cancel culture. Anyone? Gil, that's everyone. Um, and y'all probably heard of the word wokeness. So we're going to talk about both of those today because I am just such an expert in all of that. No. But we're also like today's class, we're going to talk about liturgy, liturgy and worship as well, because liturgy is a grouping of words and a way of expressing that to get our bodies to move into this new reality of life. And so when we do our liturgies, either right one or right two, it's moving our hearts through this movement of like, ex like guilt, acceptance, just all these things so we can freely express the gospel. Okay. So that's what our liturgy is, and that's what I want to focus on today with cancel culture and wokeness, because when we start talking and saying these words of the gospel, it's going to move us into that reality of life. They're no longer just going to be words separated between head and heart. It's going to be how our heart and our hands move out into the world. Um, so we're going to take what the world's telling us with wokeness and cancel culture, and we're going to just turn to the word of God with it. Um, I'm not going to tell you how to deal with your neighbors, anything like that. That is not me to do. But um, as we mentioned earlier, show these. Um, as I mentioned earlier, justice and judgment can only come through the Lord. So this is the part where it's like you don't have to keep reading. You can just hear it here. Christ Jesus is the only way that we can come to any sort of peaceful glimpse of each other together. And in this world right now, we get moments of it. Okay, but in heaven, it's going to be completely perfect. I'm constantly, like when I talk about heaven, I'm like, I'm going to have a banging body. I'm going to look so good. I'm going to have streets paved with gold. I'm going to drink, and I'm going to eat and not worry about my kids. And that's true. But the reality is, like, 
my neighbors and I are going to have an absolutely perfect relationship with each other. There will be no sin. There will be no sadness. There will be no pain and suffering, and Christ will wipe away every tear. And that's for all of us to enjoy together. But cancel culture, okay? And I'll get to why I have Jeff Coons up here at uh, Advent today. But before I want to, like, talk about cancel culture, I just want to tell you what cancel culture is actually about. It is our deep groaning to eradicate sin. It is our deep longing to right our wrongs, to make sure that those wrongs no longer exist. But that kind of rectification is only possible with Jesus. And when we try to step in and fight all these fights, I mean, we're just gonna, we're just like little kids fighting over a toy. I mean, it's just, it's not really gonna work. But sin, I'm gonna get real heady with y'all because I paid attention in medieval and Reformation doctrine and history this week. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about your sin that we are all experts in. Okay, deep breath, y'all, here we go. Sin does not pertain to God, and it does not pertain to heaven because God is incorruptible and heaven is incorruptible, which is why you will not be able to sin in heaven. That's why God is not able to sin. So if you ever have one of those like, sorry, I don't mean to roll my eyes about it. If you ever have one of those conversations and someone's like, well, if God can do anything, can he sin? And you're just like, we're not having this debate. It's like when people try to say, well, do people put... um, what is it, termites on the Noah's Ark? You're like, we're just not. We're going to curb this conversation. We're not going to do this right now because you and I are just going to not. It's never going to happen. Um, but that's just who he is. It, he is not corruptible. And so Adam and Eve, when they are in the garden, they have the ability to sin and not to sin, which means that grace has always been woven into the relationship with the Lord. We are always dependent on the Lord's grace. We are never independent of that. And so that's why when temptation comes in, we were able to sin. We were um, able to take off our, our robes of righteousness or, and put on the corruptible garbs, okay? And these medieval and um, Reformation theologians, they love to parse out sin. I'm not a fan of that because all sin is sin. And don't you ever try to say that like someone else's sin is bigger or different than yours because it's not. It is all sin, okay? All of it is. But they like parse it out in piety, so I can tell you a little bit about it. Um, Adam and Eve both sinned, but they sinned in different ways. Um, Eve's sin was that she desired to be godlike, and that desire for the false promise is what led her astray. Okay? Adam's sin was that he did not rebuke her sin, and that he was more he was more in love with Eve. And in that was willing to neglect the Lord's love. Okay, so he was able, does that make sense? Am I making sense right now? Am I taking crazy pills? Um, so he didn't, he didn't rebuke it because he just loved, he loved what they had more than he cared about the Lord. And I want y'all to think about that when we, when we continue to talk about sin, the two ways that you can go with it. Because every time we sin now, we're just replicating the fall again. And I'm not saying you can sin in just two ways. I'm just saying that that's how we can look at sin and see where we're accountable in it. So you'll realize that in every situation, you're wrong. It's great. It's great freedom in that. Um, But also sin disorders our desires. And that's the same. And we're going to look at that today with cancel culture too. Like we start to desire the wrong things. Um, Being tempted is not a sin. Jesus Christ was tempted. But the sin takes 
takes hold of you and you start to delight in it. You start to delight in that false promise that Satan gave Eve, that Satan tried to give the Lord. Um, I think it's in Luke 4 or something. No, never mind. Scratch that. Um, but that's when, when you delight in it. And then when you delight in it, you turn to it. And that's when you go into it, okay? And this really comes into play in our, um, in our Western culture of shame and honor, okay? I want you all to think about how when we, when we model ourselves off of in a shameful way versus honor, what we're really doing is we're taking sanctification and we're putting it before justification. So justification is when we are justified in the Lord's righteousness and he's given us his status. Sanctification is the acts of righteousness that the Lord's put upon you and through the grace and strength of the Holy Spirit, you're able to start walking in holiness or in likeness of holiness. Um, so that's where we get it back off. And if you were here with the gospel according to Kanye, when you switch those two things around, it's just, it's not the gospel. It's not relying on Jesus Christ. And we see through the gospel that Jesus is always honoring the shameful. I mean, he is coming to women. He is coming to the disabled. He is going to the Samaritans, y'all. And I don't think we quite understand the Samaritans, anywho. Um, but the result of this original sin is two things. It's guilt and punishment. And these, and the punishment, we, we are guilty because we have fallen short of the glory of God, and we have disobeyed him, and we have turned from him. But the punishment is temporary, and it can be eternal. So it's temporary in that, like, when you wake up in the morning and your knees hurt, you are experiencing the fall. You know what it's like for our bodies to decay. We do not have victory over decay, as this one would want us to believe. But the eternal one is where we will be eternally separated from the Lord, if not for Christ Jesus. So let's get into the righteousness of the Lord. Uh, this book of Romans is really just the gospel of the revelation of God's goodness. And I'm not going to tear you apart with what we're about to go through, but it's not going to feel that good when we hear it. Because once we talk about like what, what, our fail, what our failures are, that's when Christ Jesus can really come in. And so Paul takes us through all of our grossness. But he begins off just like setting the baseline. And he says this in Romans 1. The righteous shall live by faith. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, so let's, that's just our baseline that we're going to go into. It's going to give you the energy to walk into this muck and mire we're about to understand. Um, Romans 1 tells you that it is plain to you that there is a God in the world and that he is the ultimate creator and that um, the divine order and the eternal nature of God is plain to see when you look out into the world. I'm talking about beautiful scenery. I'm talking about when you go through a hike on the woods, when you're on Jemison Trail, when you're at the top of a mountain, you realize that there is an order to it, okay? There's an there's no way that gravity and like the way that the clouds work could ever be an accident. There's no mistaking in it. So that's called just general revelation. Like you know that there is something other than you and it's outside of you that has made this for you. It's outside of you. Like 
when I was pregnant with my kids, I did not wake up every morning and say like, it's time to work on the lungs. It's time to work on the heart. Like there is a divine order, an eternal order to that as well. Okay. Um, Romans also right after that goes in to talk about um, how God gave the, the Jewish people the law, but he also wrote on our hearts as well that like we understand good from bad. You know, like globally, like we all, we all can agree on a few things of what's right and what's wrong. But how I talked about it earlier about the disordering of desires of what sin does, that's where it starts to get super murky and gray. That's where it starts to just like, you may say that, but I say this. And um, this is not the job, like the gospel of Jiminy Cricket, like let your conscience be your guide. No, no, don't, don't do that. We know better than that at this point. Um, and then Romans also tells, tells us this. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And um, we'll get into wokeness with that later. So because we are encountering the law, we slowly, like, our makeup starts to run. You know, we start to actually see what we look like. Maybe this is just me, but anytime I go and get my hair cut or done, I'm my ugliest when I'm looking at that mirror with the black, all of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Where you're wearing that and you're just like, oh, if this is what I look like, I'm gonna need more than what just happened. And that's, that's what Romans is gonna show you. Romans is gonna show you that like, you know there's a God and you're actively rebelling against him. He is the light, the true calling, the eternal waters, and you have turned your back to him to sit over here in the, in the desert. That is what Romans is leading us through right now. And then this is how a disordered, disordered love start to pervert our culture in the ways that um, we ultimately are going back to Genesis 3 and we're, and we're becoming our own little gods. We're becoming our own judge. We're coming up with our own rules. And if you don't follow, then you're not, you're not on our side, our seats taken type stuff. And, um, and while that's like a natural tendency, and that's a good thing, that's a God thing. That is not a human being thing at all. And here we are just perverting God's goodness. Speaking of perverting, I have put up Jeff Kuhn's artwork. And this, as you can see, this is in the, the Palace of Versailles. And I love this. Outside of here, I was just like, this is, this is such a great piece of art. But this is a really good representation of what it looks like when we're trying to be on the throne, okay? Imagine going into the Palace of Versailles and just putting up a metal-casted balloon animal and saying, this is as good as what's here. This is fitting, this is becoming of this palace, okay? And I love his work, so I am not making fun of him, but I'm saying this is a really good glimpse of what we do every time we put our feet up on God's table. And we like kick ourselves back and he's just standing at the door, you know, just kind of letting us pretend to answer some phone calls. But like, here's the, you can see the animal balloon dog. I mean, look, look at the heavens and the earth and here's a balloon dog. And this is a bunny rabbit, y'all. This one's my favorite. This is a casting of a pool float that's in the shape of a lobster which is absolutely ridiculous. People eat it up, they love it, but it's in the halls of Versailles. And this is what we do when we sit on the throne of God. Our only role in this court is that we are the perpetrators, okay? Like, again, look at this one, y'all. These are the, <laughs> this is the garden of Versailles, and this is a giant horse head that isn't even constructed right, so it looks like, 
like his tongue's hanging out like he just it looks deformed compared to like the order and beauty of this and again he loves his balloon animals and that is competing with the church of Versailles or the palace of Versailles okay which leads into the next portion of Romans where it says when you pass judgment you're passing judgment on yourself okay if I walked around with this tape recorder around my neck all day I would not even be I would not even hold myself up to my own standards. I break them constantly. I was complaining in my head the other day, and I'm not even gonna tell you what I was complaining about. And the Holy Lord was like, why are you gonna stop talking about yourself like that? You know, like, I love you, babe. And I was just like, ah, I did it again. Um, again, it's, I wanna bring back to like when Jesus was on the mountain and he was talking about just the idea of adultery is as if you've committed adultery. So even though we're like, oh, I haven't, murdered, I haven't stolen, I haven't done this. You've talking, you've talking, <laughs> you've spoken terribly about someone. You've taken someone else's credit when it's not yours. You've done these things that you are just like, that's not as bad as that. And it's just building you up more in your own pile of filth. Um, and then Romans, it's quoting the Old, Old Testament, but he says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Okay, we do not get to put our balloon animals up in Versailles. We do not get to be the own judge and jury of all of it. We don't get to do that because we are guilty of what we're accusing other people of doing. Okay, and Paul says, <laughs> for there's no distinction for all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Um, summarize that quickly. It's how do you possibly boast after this? How could you possibly brag about yourself or put someone down when Romans is very clearly telling us you're all falling short of the glory? So before we're gonna be left in the mud, Christ is just, Romans is gonna move us up, move us in the sight of Jesus. And I just want you to think of like, when we're talking about our sin, like when I think of the Old Testament, when it closes and there's 400 years of darkness, what that light must have sounded like, what that might, light would have looked like when it lit up the skies or the prophecy was in the temple, just, out, just that darkness. And cancel culture is really talking about a regime change. And um, Fleming Rutledge is really an incredible person. We should all go read her book on the crucifixion. It's real light and breezy, <laughs> just a subject matter like that. But she talks about how like the only way we can like usher in this new dawn of light is Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. And when we put on the armor of him, that's how we're gonna reflect the light. That's how we're able to get up. Um, she says, the whole structure of the gospel is founded on and built upon the lordship of the crucified, risen, victorious Christ, who is able to make his servants stand and not fall. So, we're terrible, we're the worst ever. Christ Jesus loves us, died for us, we trust in him, we confess our sin, so now we're awake. Wokeness, okay? So we've talked about how the gospel is not about being good or bad, it's about being dead or alive. But today, I wanna to talk to you about how it's a smelling salt. It's to wake you up. We trust in the gospel, we trust in Jesus Christ. 
it would not be a Sunday school class if I did not quote Tim Keller. Tim Keller says the gospel is not like the ABCs of Christian living, it's the A to Z of Christian life. So the gospel is something we need to talk about every single time we come to church. And if we're not talking about the gospel, just get up, just get up and leave because the gospel is what is gonna wake you up from being dead. And now that you've been woken up, it's gonna revive you to wake you up to go do, to go live the life in Christ. And so the gospel of righteousness is, the, the gospel is the righteousness of the ungodly. Like I said earlier, we're trying to justify ourselves constantly. Um, let me pull up Yo-Yo so we can see it. But when we think about our sin and we think about how good the Lord is, I promise you, you're going to understand why we can rejoice in the Lord's um, wrath. Um, because Romans 5, 2 talks about while we were still weak, Christ died for us. He did not wait for me to make up my bed, clean up my room, empty out my car. Like He did not wait on me to do what I needed to do because there's nothing inside of me that would want to do that. There is nothing inside of me that if I'm sitting here and the Lord has opened the door and the light's coming in, nothing inside of me could even turn to the light. That's how much in sin and how much in rebellion of the Lord we are. And it's only through the God, only through God using his light and using his goodness in Christ Jesus that we could even see it. Like if you're in a cave in Alabama and you know how they're like, put your hands in front of your face, like your eyesight's there, but you need light, an outside source to come in and light it up so you can actually see it. And then Romans um, 5.11 takes us into that reconciliation, that reconciliation that our hearts desire when we talk about this cancel culture. Like it's not enough to eradicate sin, like that's still a baseline. So then we're just back where we started. How do we go from the baseline? How do we rise up? How do we awake to that? And Romans 5.11 talks about that. Like we can still rejoice in God's wrath because of Christ. And we're going beyond avoiding his wrath. Like we're beyond like, okay, I'm saved, I'm good. All right, thanks again, never wanna do, talk to you later. No, it's like now that we're up in him, we can start walking with him. We don't have to like, like I said, get up out of our bed in the morning. Like the Lord, you do guys, you do. But the Lord, the Lord gives you the grace, the strength and the power to go about your day in a way that's gonna be an inviting testimony to other people. You know, like in some of my like, weakest moments that's when the glory of the God like truly comes out but when I'm up here being like let me just tell you about how great I am like where's the Lord in that where is that um and then okay I'm getting all ahead of myself okay so does anyone know who Yoyoi Kasima is y'all might have seen her stuff on Instagram it's really big because she'll have um I'll show you this one stuff like this you go, it's called an infinity room where you walk in and there's a mirror facing you and all around you. So it looks like it goes into infinity. It's really beautiful. Um, but I want to show hers because I love her work and Jeff Koons together because it makes so much sense where it is. This is the New York Botanical Gardens. And I, she is a, a Japanese artist who grew up after the atomic bomb. And she, as a way to her coping mechanism, is to put dots all over everything. And once I started seeing her work, I started like, like this is a pumpkin right there, like a giant, beautiful mirror pumpkin. These are crazy flowers and whatnot. And after like seeing her work, it made me stop in a grocery store and like actually look at a pumpkin. I like was able to like, Oh, look at this beautiful pumpkin. Like, this is a Cinderella one. This is, like, I just got, I delighted so much in them afterwards. And that's what Romans 
five to the finish is wanting us to do is to delight in the Lord and what he's calling us to look at. Like he's not telling us to delight in our sin, but it's like yo-yo-kasuma putting dots on it. Like look at it. You can see that. You can look at your sin. You can look at your mistakes and not have to avoid it and not have to turn from it because we have the glory of the Lord, because the Lord has come down to us and has given us the gospel and has given us a new life and woken us up to it. And that's what the gospel is. Like I said, it's smelling salts. And I just love her work, y'all. She just makes something ordinary just like so spectacular. And that's what the Lord does with us too. We, I have really crazy dreams of grandeur. Like I'm just like, oh yeah. And it's like, no, you're not. You are extraordinary, but you are extraordinary in the Lord. Um, and this one's just beautiful. But like I said, this is really allowing us to take delight in the blesser, not the blessing. Because that's what the gospel is about. It's not about worshiping the creation. It's about the creator. So if you're just looking at the hand of the Lord, you're not going to see his face. And that's what the gospel wants us to see. Is like we want to see the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in that. Um, I will not quote Spurgeon because I have babbled on about Yoyoi Kasuma, but he describes the gospel as like a doctor is asleep in the house and someone is dying and the doctor has the medicine and you are banging on the doors, you're ringing the bell, you're throwing stones at his window and he will not wake up. And because of that, the person does not get the medicine. And that's what the gospel is. That's what you are called to do. You're not called to con like to make people like we're not the Mormons. We're like must baptize you and then we keep moving like that is not what is it about like you have the gospel and you are to tell people about the gospel. The Holy Spirit is going to come in. He's going to water it. He's going to convert them. He's going to walk them into completion in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our calling is simply to tell people about the gospel. That is what we are supposed to do. And so when, when we don't tell people about the gospel, when we don't offer them the good news, we're sleeping like that doctor who has, who has the medicine for the sick and the dying, and we just choose not to say it. Okay. So wokeness, guys. Wokeness to us as Christians is that we have been awoken to our sins and that now that we know of our sins, we are truly able to like understand just our need for the Savior. But anytime we're like Paul did, he showed us our sin, immediately it was with grace. We were never just left alone, just like a little kid, like waiting for their parents to come pick them up. Like the Lord was always sitting with us with his own backpack. You know, he was just there waiting for him. I'm just thinking about my kid when I was the last person to pick him up this week. Um, wasn't my fault. I lost my keys. <laughs> I lost my keys at the park and I took off running to the school and I like show up. I'm like, hey, buddy. And he's like, not impressed. Not impressed that I just ran half a mile to get to you. Um, but I think like a lot of our pain in this culture is that we strictly, we simply just forget whose workmanship we are. We try to make ourselves into our own everything and we're just forgetting who God has called us to be and that is a child of God. And the gospel is the food that we take every single day and every time we come up for communion and it teaches us to grow and walk in faith because we're children. And we're not going to see us grow into adults immediately overnight. We're going to see it over a gradual period. But that doesn't mean it's not working or it's not happening. Um, when I was thinking about like wokeness and cancel culture, it made me think of like how we're still kind of in the towers of Babel. 
like how we're still trying to build our own cities and build our own monuments. But the moment our worldviews are toppled, we are just like left in the ground and in the dirt. And scripture reminds us in John that when we're in the dirt, like Christ's finger like comes through it. And he says like the first person to cast a stone is without sin. And from the oldest man to the youngest, they started to leave. And he looks at the woman who's being condemned for adultery and says, neither do I condemn you. Get up and go and sin no more. And that's what we need to remember. Like we need to remember the goodness that Christ did for us in that. I mean, I just think about like, what did he write in the sand? (laughs) What did he write that from the oldest to the youngest? Because I think the oldest left because they've They've really been living that life of sin. And the younger ones are like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, But Christ does, because Romans tells us that Christ can judge the secrets of our own heart. So like, even if we're not like put to blast on social media, like the Lord's still seeing your secrets. Like your internet history can be clear, but God knows, God knows. Um, So yeah, the book of of Romans, and this is James Terrell. I love him. Um, The book of Romans has been used from Martin Luther to Martin Luther King. I mean, it is all about human equality and human freedom. But if we just see that in the secular, it's not gonna be enough for us. Like rectification is only possible through Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to remember. Um, And then just to end, you know, the only person that can judge sin and at the same time manifest goodness to cleanse us of our sins and keep us up walking, rising, and walking with the Lord is Jesus Christ. Anytime we put ourselves in that position, we are going to fail horribly, miserably. And like we said in the first class that, you know, Jesus was the original protester on the streets. He was out there defending the rights of women, just defending the downtrodden, the oppressed, the broken, the Republican and the Democrat. Like he loves all of us. We are all, the gospel is available to all of us. So don't sleep on that. Um, Yeah. And also no one can be more loving and inclusive than Jesus Christ. So don't think for one second you read something in the Bible and I don't know about that one. No, Christ knows. That's why he gave it to us. So gospel is a smelling salt, y'all. It will wake us up from our sin. It wakes us up from our death. And through the powering of the Holy Spirit, he awakens us and that we can walk into this world uh, exclaiming and proclaiming the gospel. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.